the jobs are out there. You just got to get off your butt and find them. I mean, the work's always there. I've never had too hard of a time finding a job. And then another thing, it's just all a matter of what you want to do, too. There's places all over. There's ranches. There's kayak tours. There's whitewater rafting tour. There's ATV tours. There's snowboarding, skiing in the winter. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I'm here with Tim Lindsay, uh, visiting Ketchikan. He works at a horse ranch in Granby, Colorado, which I've been to. It was awesome. And what's up, Tim? Uh, not much. Uh, from, originally from Tennessee, a little town called Erin, uh, known for one of the biggest Irish celebrations in Tennessee. I got started working when I was still in high school. Uh, got in the union shortly after high school. Uh, become a certified welder through the Boilermakers Union. How'd you get into that? I got a bunch of buddies that are certified welders, and my granddad from a long time showed me a lot of welding as I was younger. So he got me up, and I got started with the apprenticeship. I'd done about three and a half years with the Boilermakers. I got tired of it. Uh, so I got a wild hair up my butt. And What made you tired of it? Uh, all the work. Um... All work, no play. Um, what was their schedule? I remember we was working 716s for four months, and then we worked two, two and a half months of 712s. What, that, what does that mean? Uh, seven, hour, or seven days a week, 16-hour days for <laughs> four months long, and then two more months of 712s. So what was a typical day? You'd wake up at? 3.30, 4 o'clock. And then you'd go to work. Mm-hmm. What time would you get home from work? Uh, nine, ten o'clock at night sometimes, if not longer. And you'd just fall asleep mm-hmm. and do it all again the mm-hmm. next day for four months straight. Mm-hmm. And then we was in Gallatin, Tennessee, working. So I was making that commute. I was driving four hours each way, or between round trip. So on top of working 16-hour days and then driving four hours. I was pretty wore out. So you're getting four hours of sleep, and that's if you go directly to bed. Mm-hmm. That sounds awful. Oh, it was. It was miserable. That's why <laughs> I'm not doing it no more. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, I decided to jump on a tugboat and run up and down the Mississippi, the Ohio, the Illinois River. Done that for about a year. I worked my way up from uh, from a greenhorn all the way up to mate. How did you get on the boat originally? Uh, I got a couple of buddies that worked on the boat. They all liked it, so I figured I'd give it a shot. And same thing, I worked, i done 12 weeks on the river, and it's like the company I was with said, can you do two more? I said, sure. And uh, two more weeks rolled around, and they didn't send me my relief, so I had to stay another two weeks. So it's 16 weeks in total on the river. And if anybody's worked on the river, it's six hours on, six hours off. And then two days after I got off a 16-week hitch, they called me back trying to get me to come back to work. And I just had enough of it. Mm-hmm. What was what was the normal, like, day-to-day duties on the boat? Uh, let's see. I was on back watch. 
And then front watch. So front watch is 5 a.m. to 11 during the day in the morning. And then back watch would be 11 in the morning till 5 o'clock in the evening. You just work in six-hour increments. And then you'd pull up into uh, a dock or anywhere we was picking up barges, dropping them off. Uh, when we was down in New Orleans, you'd pick up anywhere from 40 to 50 barges and then haul them back up the river. And then you'd swap that load out, pick up another 30 or 40, and bring them back down to New Orleans. Usually when we was going to New Orleans, is empty boats. And done that for about a year. Um, it takes, when we was down in New Orleans, it take about a week to build a big tow like that. So you was working around the clock. And then if you was on call, you worked until it was done. So if we was down there for three days, you worked the full three days. No, no stopping, no sleeping. Yeah. And then you'd get time off for maybe a day, two days, then back to work. What was – so when you say backwatch, were you just, like, keeping an eye out for logs or uh, – Backwatch, it, you're running from, like I said, 11 in the evening to uh, – yeah, 11 to 5 in the evening, and then from 11 midnight to 5 in the morning. You'd go out there, check tow two or three times a night, make sure everything was still tight. Make sure, you know, barges wasn't separating. Make sure you didn't hit nobody on the on the boat. Had to really start looking out for people once you got up towards St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one incident where a couple of kayakers was just right in front of the barge and would not move. <laughs> so the captain, he had to completely stop the boat because they wouldn't move. A um, couple of people on boats, you'd get people, they'd go by and throw you beer and all that from their boat. Right. Um there's one time we was uh, we was up there and is I can't remember is in the winter time we was busting ice on the with the barges and I was on the head of tow and water was the wind and the water was coming up over the head deck and I uh, got soaking wet. That's probably the coldest and miserablest I've ever been. Got back, I took my bibs off and uh, they stood straight up. They just froze. <laughs> so wait, you slid out of them. Oh, no, they had to drag me out of them because I was so cold. Oh, God. Yeah, I was froze. And they just stayed right there, same form. Yeah, I took a two-and-a-half-hour-long shower, and I was still freezing. Oh, God. So the the kayakers, was that were they protesting, or were they just... No, they were just out there. Um, didn't have no sense. <laughs> I, I guess they think that, I don't know, we'd stop just because of them, which we did because, you know, captain get in trouble, but... right. Did you yell at them? Or? Oh, yeah. We was hollering, cussing. What'd they say? Uh, hollering, cussing back. What? Yeah. A bunch of words uh, that I'm not going to say right. uh, was exchanged. And then I remember one time we put a, I can't remember what it said, but we put a, a sign up above the captain right there by, below the wheelhouse that said, throw us beer or something. I can't remember what it was. But uh, every boat would come by, they'd throw us something. Captain couldn't ever figure it out. Pretty soon he walked outside his bedroom to have a cigarette break and seen the big poster on his side of his window. <laughs> How long was it up there without him knowing about it? Probably a good six or seven days. <laughs> how much how much beer do you think he got out of that? A couple cases? At least. <laughs> at least. <laughs> at least. I remember one guy threw a half a bottle of whiskey at us. Nice. So it was nice. So on the when you were welding, how much were you making doing that? the 16s it wasn't nothing for me to bring in 
between three and four grand a week. Okay. And that's after taxes. Right. And then on the boats? On the boats, I was making, starting out, I made, I think it was 150 a day. Mm-hmm. And then I worked my way up to where I was making between 350 and 400 a day. So it's not bad, but they just overwork you. Right. So it's it's it was much less than the welding, but yeah, better because you had way more time off. You weren't killing sense. yourselves. Right. Yeah. And so at the end of your 16 weeks on the boat, what happened there? I was off the boat for two days. I was in St. Paul when I got off. And it takes, I think it was 26-hour drive home in the crew van. All right, so I was off the boat for like two days. I just made it home. I hadn't been home probably 12, 13 hours, and they called me back in and said, can you come back to work? I was like, no, you know what? I've had it. Y'all can find my replacement. Just hung up the phone. (laughs) Yeah, they want to overwork you and not want to give you no more money. Mm -hmm. If they had given me more money, I'd have probably went back, but they didn't want to do that. Yeah. As most big companies don't. So I got tired of it and become a seasonal. Traveled around. All last year, I went from fair play from last March till this year. I went from fair play to Grand Junction and then back up to Granby, Colorado, where I'm at currently. Uh, Here in a couple months, I'll probably go to Phoenix or uh, Tucson. What were you doing in fair play? Uh, Same thing. I was doing horseback rides and uh, doing guided ATV tours. Mm -hmm. Where is fair play? It's... Let's see. That's is that Colorado? Yeah. Yeah. It's Fair Play, Colorado. It's right there, about thirty miles was it south or west of Breckenridge, Colorado. Yep. About an hour and a half from Denver. So it's not too terribly bad. Um, out in the mountains, got to see and enjoy a lot of things. I remember this one time, I was doing a guided ATV tour, and uh, I dumped his mother and daughter, and uh, I pulled. Uh, the mom off the four-wheeler because she could not drive at all. <laughs> and I stuck her on the back with the daughter. Well, we're going down through there, and there's a little curve in the road, and I turned around to check on my guests. Well, about the time I turned around to check on my guests, the daughter drove off the side of the mountain. <laughs> so my heart went plumb to my feet. <laughs> where, <laughs> where they went off of was about a 40-foot straight drop, and uh, I just knew something bad was going on because i couldn't see them i got back up there they find they would luckily got stopped i was like i parked my four-wheeler i went back i got them i got the four-wheeler back up on the road and i said all right now what happened the daughter looks at me with just the plainest face you can look at somebody with and she said the four-wheeler just went left and i did not know what to say to that i was like how does a four-wheeler just go left you got a steering wheel just like a car and she's like, yeah. The so I took the mother and the daughter, made them both get off the four-wheeler and get on with two other people that they didn't know. They didn't know. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a very interesting trip that time. So did you ever figure out what happened? She just steered just, right off? Yeah, she just did not know how to steer four-wheeler. Oh, God. And we wasn't going. We might have been going 10 mile an hour. So it, it goes to show you just common sense just ain't so common anymore. Right. Yeah. Not Well, the thing here is, you know, tourists leave their brain at home. Yes, very much is so. what all we the say. Time. All the time. So did they get hurt at all? No. No injuries. Miraculously, the they survived. The wasn't hurt. Yeah, they got a wild story out of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, I mean, it just goes to show you how quick in an instant something can happen. Yeah. When you're on vacation, I guess people just leave their brain, put it on autopilot, and never take it off. Yeah. 
So you were working with horses there as well? Mm-hmm. And that was not the first time you'd worked with horses, right? No, I've uh, been a cowboy my whole life. Nice. I've been in the saddle since before I could walk. Uh, my granddaddy had me in the saddle when I was six months old. And then from there, let's see, I think, he was, I think I was around two when he got me my first horse. And I've been riding ever since. When I was around six or seven, I started competing in rodeos. Done that up until probably about three months ago and officially retired. Yeah. Body just can't handle the beat up no more. Right. Uh, a lot of broke bones, a lot of torn ligaments, I guess you could say. It's just time. My body's telling me it's time. Yeah. I remember one time we was in Tennessee somewhere. I can't remember exactly what rodeo it was, but I come over the front. Uh, I took a pretty bad spill. Uh, his uh, his head tended to be a little harder than mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I broke my eye socket, my nose, and my jaw. And then the bull come around and stepped on my lower back and broke my back. Uh, the funnest part about the whole ride was they airlifted me, but I was not conscious. Oh, so you didn't get to enjoy yeah, that part. So I didn't get to enjoy that part. But other than that, everything, everything was good, all in all. Took me about a year to recover. I uh, finally recovered. I got on, I don't know, four or five more bulls. And my mother found out and put a stop to it. Um, then when I moved back to Colorado, I got started back again. I rode all over Colorado several times and uh, started again this year and kept taking more bad spills. And uh, one of the, the last one I got on when I retired, uh, I come off the front, I landed right on my head and everything went black. I finally got my sight back, and when I come to, I see specs out of my right eye. Well, it might be time to hang it up. Yeah. So when you had the the one you got airlifted from, how old were you? Uh, 19. 19? I think. And were you working another job, or was that a pain no, that job? Was my, that rodeo was my full-time job. What do they get paid? <laughs> sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Um, the events... You'd go, some of them, you know, they'd be $500 added if you won. Some of them be uppers of fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 if you won. Mm-hmm. Whenever I was at the peak of my career, I was doing really good. I was making anywhere from twenty to 30000 a month just in winnings. And it's a, it's good, but it's also painful. It's not it for everybody. Yeah. Uh, my dad always told me, so my granddad, they said, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. So I figured I'd be the toughest of them all. <laughs> you officially retired from rodeo. Mm-hmm. And all right, so you're working in fair play, ATVs, and horses. How did you get to the next place? Uh, where I'm at now. Is that? Did you go to Granby right after fair play? No, I went to Grand Junction for a little while. What were you doing there? I picked up a little odd and end job pouring concrete. Um, um Fourth or yeah, fourth generation concrete finisher by family trade. Mm-hmm. Um, picked up just because it's something I can always fall back on. I know how to do and very good at it. I done that for about two months and I was like, this is no. It's hard to get away from the seasonal life. Yeah, especially once you're in it. It's hard to have a regular job. I guess you could say. When you were doing the concrete finishing and you were thinking about going back to seasonal life. What was the the main thing that was drawing you? The travel, the work? Both the travel, the fun. I've always traveled. Mm-hmm. And it, once you get in on the road life, when the road calls, you go. So there's kind of a sense of that. It, I really didn't want to go to Grand Junction when I went, but I did. 
had a good time there, but it was time to move on after about two months. Mm-hmm. Time to get back to the high country and get back to riding horses again. I said it's something about horses that calms you down, keeps me at bay. Yeah, but other than that, now I've hopefully in a couple months. Uh, I've been hitting the road with the farrier here lately. Uh, putting shoes on horses. So I got a good gig coming up in, uh, I believe it's Tombstone, Arizona. Uh, when we make it back to Colorado, I think we're going to go down there for about four or five days, and we got got 100 horses to go and put shoes on. So good little, nice little chunk of money. Yeah. What does the process look like when you're putting shoes on horses? So uh, if the horses have already got shoes, you'll you'll pull the shoes off. You'll trim them just like you'd cut your nails. Mm-hmm. And then you'll put the shoe back on. You'll you'll fit the shoe to the horse, and then you'll take nails and drive through their hoof. You want to drive it. There's a thin line that uh, where you drive the nail. It don't hurt the horse, but you don't want to quick them or anything like that, because then that'll bring the horse lame, and you can't use him for a while. What does all that mean? Uh, means he's got a sore foot and it hurts him to walk, and you can't use him for a couple weeks, a couple days. So if you put it past that thin line mm-hmm. okay yeah it, it'd be just like quicking your fingernail gotcha yeah you know when you're trimming your fingernails you don't want to quick yourself so in a sense i'm doing it with two thousand pound animals that jerk around all the time that you gotta really be careful what you're doing or you're gonna hurt the horse right any second something could happen mm-hmm. yeah i've had nails ripped through my hands already and <laughs> about ripped through my leg once or twice but i'm still on the scale of good to evil where would you put the horse uh (laughs) depends uh some of them are good some of them are really good and then some of them are uh you know assholes (laughs) but some of them are they like that as soon as you get their foot up they'll jerk it right between your legs i've been picked up two foot off the ground it's uh it's not an easy task but it's a fun task i know chloe would put them towards the closer to the evil side. And I asked her one time how many horses she's punched. I want to know your number. Uh, let's see. Punched or slapped? <laughs> Either. I've slapped a bunch of them. I couldn't tell you how many I've slapped. But it's, you know, it's open hand. And they're 2,000-pound animals. You're not going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. You're just getting their attention. Yeah. About like, you know, spanking a kid. Yeah. Uh, even though that's frowned upon nowadays. But. If more kids were spanked, a lot less stuff would happen. Right, just like when you're smacking a horse, yeah. it doesn't. It just doesn't give dis- them a disobey you. Yeah, I don't know. I've probably smacked thousand or more. Okay. Probably only punched. I don't know, forty or fifty. But I've smacked a bunch. So of only them. when they deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Only when they deserve <laughs> it. As I mean, that's just like a you know. I'll tell my guests, you know, though. You know, sometimes a horse will turn around and just, he'll rub at your foot. Sometimes he'll bite, nip at your foot. I'll tell him, you know, kick him in the mouth, teach him a lesson. You're mm-hmm. not going to hurt him. I mean, these are 2,000-pound animals. Their hide's 20 times thicker than ours. And not only that, but you get another 2,000-pound animal kicking another one. I, there's no way I can punch that hard, and they don't seem to hurt after yeah. a big horse kicks them. When I was in Granby, my horse was um, a total asshole, and he kept leaning his head back, maybe trying to bite me. I don't know. He never did, but I didn't kick him for the longest time, and he <laughs> kept walking wherever he wanted, eating whatever he wanted, yeah. so finally I kicked him, and then suddenly he wasn't as much of an asshole. Yeah. 
So now I get it. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you got to be a little firm with them. Yeah. So what is, what's your favorite horse you've ever had? Favorite horse. Oh, goodness. Uh, we got a couple there now that's, you know, I've I've become, you know, pretty close with. We got one. Uh, it's Durango. You can, do it, you can just do anything on him. Uh, we was pushing the horses one day, and I jumped on him. Didn't know if he'd like it or not, but grabbed the bullwhip and decided I was going to push the horses, cracking the bullwhip off his back, and which it makes a loud pop. I like shooting fireworks right off a horse's back. <laughs> and he took it. I mean, he didn't like it. You could tell he didn't like it, but he sat there and took it. He's a good horse. You can do anything with him. And then uh, another one was Poncho. He spooked at everything, though. Uh, I remember we was riding one time, and there was a moose about six foot from the trail, and I didn't see him. He was uh, in a bunch of pines, thick, heavy pines, and I uh, couldn't see him where I was at. All of a sudden, Ponch jumped about eight foot sideways, and I look over my left shoulder, and there's a big bull moose standing about six foot off the trail. <laughs> Guess like, what do we do? I said, we just keep it going. Right. Because uh, I have seen most charge lines. They're very territorial and aggressive. A lot of your tourists don't. They'll, they'll get out of their cars and try to get close to them and take pictures, but it's not a very wise thing to do. Yeah, these things are, they're what, 2,000 pounds? Mm, roughly. Yeah. So when a moose charges a line, what do you, what do, you do? Me, what, being from a rodeo background, me, I'll, I'll take my horse and I'll charge back or I'll put him in front of the guests. Uh, but that's just the old rodeo cowboy in me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm used to dealing with mean, angry, 2,000-pound animals coming at you. It's, uh, it's a dance, I guess you could say. You just got to be brave enough to lead. So what's the horse do if you? Uh, some of them will run away. Yeah. And then some of them will charge back. Some of them ain't got no fear in them. And how's the moose respond? Uh, sometimes they'll keep charging, and then sometimes they'll take off and go the other direction. Hopefully, if if it's in your favor, they go the other direction. Yeah. Of course. And what's have you seen them collide with the horse? I have not um, seen them collide. Uh, there's been a couple of close calls, but I haven't seen none of them collide. But like I said, uh, hopefully, if everything, if I can get another gig, um, when I'm down in Arizona, I'm also going to be looking towards uh, getting back towards like the rodeo aspect mm-hmm. um not necessarily riding but more doing a little more fighting bullfighting most people would call them clowns at the rodeos but they're bullfighters uh what we do is uh if a cowboy gets in trouble say with the bull gets hung up or whatever that's where we come in and step in and we'll take all the blow we'll help do whatever we can do to keep the cowboy safe so you're kind of redirecting the attention of the bull yeah right Putting his attention towards us and taking it off so the cowboy can get help or somebody can get to him. Yeah, get him out of there. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of rodeo when I was younger, mm-hmm. and it seems like those the bullfighters got hurt too. We do. Um, I've done it a handful of times at practice pens and then at rodeo, say if uh, the bullfighters, they don't show up or something, or they get caught you know, in traffic as some things do. Um I've done it a couple rodeos, a couple practice pins, and you know we do take we do take a beating too as well, but not as much of a beating. Mm-hmm. I don't think, anyways. You, you, like I said, it's a dancing partner. You just gotta be brave enough to lead and let it follow you. Yeah. Without getting taking a horn to the side or to the hip or like one time I about took one up the rear end, but <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was. Uh, 
That's a very embarrassing thing. So let's say you're a bullfighter. You're working at the arena. One of the cowboys is late. They look over at you. They're like, we need somebody to go. Yeah. Uh, Are you going to let them bring your jersey down from the rafters and put it back on? Uh, yeah. Um, well, it'd be different because um, I'm going to the fighting side of it. I was on the riding side of it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't never nothing like that. If you just didn't make it to a rodeo, you just didn't ride that night. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you meant that sometimes the bullfighters would take the place if they're... No, 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 no. I'd, gotcha. I'd be taking the place of the bullfighters if they didn't show. Gotcha. So I've always, okay. whenever I was riding all the time, uh, I always had my cleats and my shorts in my bag just in case the bullfighters didn't show up or anything like that. I'd gear up and go out there. Mm-hmm. There's one time I was, I was actually... I was in Buchanan, Tennessee, at an arena that I first started at. My buddy come off. He took a pretty bad spill, got knocked unconscious. I jumped. I was actually the second bull fixing to get ready to go ride. I jumped over the chute, ended up laying on top of my buddy, and the bull come back and got us both. So even though I took majority of the blow, but even though he was knocked out, I still got on top of him and, you know, done what I could for my buddy, mm-hmm. for my brother. It's all family out there. You take care of one another. You cheer each other on. Yeah, because you're traveling together. Mm-hmm. You're in there together. Probably builds up a lot of camaraderie. And it does. It looking does. after each other. It does. You're willing to put your life on the line so, so somebody else can go forward. Yeah. You just got to kind of put it in the back of your mind. But we all know that crawling down in the chute, that could be the last time you crawl down in the chute or even be alive for that matter. Yeah. And as a is a sacrifice we're all willing to make. If we got to make it, might as well do it doing something we love. Yeah, it is. I mean, the good times are sound like a blast. Oh, yeah. And then the good times are great. The bad times ain't so bad. I mean, it can get rough. Uh, I've been so sore, my mom and little brother couldn't even lift me off off the couch. Like uh, last summer, I would went to a uh, Salada Rodeo. I ended up tearing my groin, dislocating my hip. My knees got stepped on. Uh, next morning, yeah, I sore, but I was still in the saddle working. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very painful. Uh, but like I said, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Yeah. You got into riding horses, ATV tours. At Granby, you're doing horse tours mm-hmm. as well. What do you think draws you to the seasonal lifestyle the most? Seeing different places. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a sense of... You're not doing the same thing every day, day in, day out. Um, you get to see, you get to meet new people all over the world. There's no two people alike. You get to, some days are good and some days are bad, just like with anything else. But, you know, you, there's a lot of people. It makes for a fun, fun job. Get to meet people with different stories. That, and you know, it comes to an end, but it's going to be back again shortly. Uh, during the winter, I usually take, you know, a couple months off and then travel or do whatever I can do and then pick back up in the summer. Like I said, hopefully this winter I can go down to Arizona or California for a little while and then uh, who knows where next summer holds. Mm-hmm. What's the – or who is the most unique person you've met in your season of work? Unique. Or coolest or – Somebody that you never would have met if you didn't do seasonal work. Oh, goodness. Uh, probably my buddy Jay. He's an old rodeo cowboy as well. I uh, worked with him last summer. He's uh, he's a good dude. 
the only dude I ever knew to fall off in a team roping off of his horse. Now, what does is, what is a team roping involve? You got two horses. You got a steer, uh, which is a little calf. One, one dude to try to head him with the rope, and the other dude to try to heal him with the two back feet with the rope. And it's the quickest time. Well, my buddy Jay roped him when, when he went to dally off. What's that mean? Uh, you take the rope and go around your saddle horn mm-hmm. uh, on your saddle. Well, when he'd done that, the steer kind of pulled his saddle off, almost off of his horse and pulled him along with it. <laughs> so that's pretty fun. I told him, I said, he should have entered the bronc riding instead of the <laughs> steer riding or steer roping. But uh, he's a good dude. We had a lot of fun last year. Uh, a lot, A lot more busier this year than it was last year. I think last year I was bringing, I'd make anywhere from 100 to 150, just in tips. On a tour or in a day? In a day. Yeah. And then this year I've pushed it, and I was making anywhere from 150 to 350 a day in tips this year. And how many many tours would you give a day? Two to three. Yeah. And then sometimes even four. We'd get up at, I mean, like I said, it's a lot more busier than last summer. We'd get up at four and be at the barn at five and some nights we wouldn't leave till eight eight thirty so it'd be a long day but a fun day too yeah because like you said you're doing what you love yeah right yeah Yeah, horses that and horses got away with i guess kind of a therapy i guess you could say Mm -hmm. they keep you calm they keep you calm yeah i the horses I've been around lately oh, no. No. give me anxiety, and I don't have anxiety. <laughs> now, now, you can get a couple of crazy horses that just frustrate you and you just want to beat the hell out of. But, mm-hmm. but you got to keep in mind they are animals. So. Right, right. Yeah, I, I had my horse in Columbia that tried to toss me in a river three times. I tried to feed him an apple to make amends, <laughs> and he threw the apple down on the ground, and then stomped on it and walked away. Yeah, I had a horse uh, the other day. I was taking my water bottle out to the thing, and uh, the horse pulled the water bottle out of my back pocket and lifted his head way up in the air, and I, I'm so short, he could, I couldn't reach it. He just kept his head going up. And then he'd bring <laughs> it back down, he'd go back up again. It's, fun, it's times like that that, you know, that amuse me. Yeah. Uh, horses are smart, but they're also dumb, too. <laughs> they don't know... Like people. Yeah. (laughs) Some of them are very intelligent horses, but they act like a bunch of dumb fucks all the time. Yep. But they're fun. And there's something new with them every day. You learn something every day with them. So you're going to Arizona, going to shoe horses down there. If you look into the future, I mean, you love to travel, obviously. You love to do different things every day. What would be a good spot to find yourself in, say, four years? Four years. Four or five years. Um, I don't know. I like the West, but I also got a lot more traveling. Uh, I want to go to uh, Australia, New Zealand. I'd like to go to Spain to go uh, to uh, Barcelona mm-hmm. to go uh, running with the Bulls. I think that's in March. Uh, yeah, Pamplona in March. Yeah, I'd like to do that. There's still a lot more traveling I'd like to do before I kind of settle down anywhere, but say in 10 years, I'd like to, you know, have a nice house, a little family, but always travel. Yeah. Always see something. Like I said, I've got the opportunity to go down there and shoe horses, and it's a hard living, but it's a good living. Uh, you make a good bunch of good money pretty quick. I think we went down to Salada for two days and made right at $3,000. For two days? Now, what what's a normal day there, waking up at? Mm, I think we get started about 8 o'clock, 
and we finished around eight, mm-hmm. seven thirty, eight o'clock that night. But we was just we was we was helping it. We was getting it. Yeah. We done twenty horses a day. Like I said, some of them would stand still, and then some of them would jerk you four foot off the ground. You just gotta <laughs> you just gotta fight some of them a little more than others. Right. You gotta want it more than they do. Yeah. <laughs> more than they don't want it. Yeah. So if you if you had a friend that was kind of stuck in a job that he didn't really enjoy back home, you know, he'd done it for three or four years, but he was just thinking, man, this isn't this isn't where I wanted to go. Why be miserable? Right, yeah. There's too much out there to be happy instead of sticking to some nine-to-five job that you hate when you can, one, go to these vacation spots and work and still do the people stuff that the people do on vacation. But it's like a working vacation, and, and I mean, you can't beat that. Yeah, you work, but in your off time, you get to enjoy everything everybody else does on vacation at a little cheaper rate, too. And then they say, well, I'm worried, you know, what if I don't find a job or what if, you know, I'm not making ends meet there? The jobs are out there. You just got to get off your butt and find them. I mean, the work's always there. I've never had too hard of a time finding a job. And then another thing, it's just all a matter of what you want to do, too. There's places all over there's ranches, there's kayak tours, there's whitewater rafting tour, there's ATV tours, there's snowboarding, skiing in the winter. I mean, there's all there's all types of opportunities, yeah, jobs opportunities. out there. Yeah, yeah, for whatever somebody is into. You just got to be ambitious enough to go get it. Yep. Well, man, thanks. It was great talking to you. Oh, no problem. Anytime. Yeah. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.